Women Make Waves is an NC Fit podcast. Welcome back to the Women Make Waves podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and alongside my co-hosts, Arielle and Laura, we are sitting down with the one and only Juliette Sturet today. Now, you may know Juliet is the co-founder and CEO of The Ready State alongside her husband, Dr. Kelly Sturette, but today is all about being a boss lady in fitness. With a career as a trial lawyer and now an entrepreneur and CEO of a well-known fitness company, Juliet has so much life experience to bring to today's conversation. For all of you ladies that have been told not to interrupt, that your input isn't welcome, that you can't sit at the boys' table or anything in between, this conversation is going to get you ready to run through walls. Whether you want to start a business, you have a business, you work for a company that you want to elevate, that you want to bring your voice to the big decisions, today's conversation is for you. We've linked all the ways to get a hold of Juliet in the show notes. And while you're there, please make sure to give the show a five-star rating and review. These reviews mean so much to us. We read every single one. We smile, we laugh. And if you know anything about any of the episodes we've done so far, you know that we probably cry with each review that comes in. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Well, Juliet, thank you so much for being here with us. Lindsay, Laura, and I are so, so happy that you're here, and I cannot wait to dive in. Um, One thing that we like to start off our episodes with is um, just getting clear on how are you making waves? How are you making waves, or what waves are you making um, in your space? Sure. Uh, You know, I am the CEO of this company called The Ready State, um, along with my husband, Kelly, And uh, from a business standpoint, the thing I'm really focused on is continuing to grow and scale our company. Uh, But underlying that on a personal level, what I'm really working on is trying to own own that and be able to talk about it and be able to talk about my own role in doing that. Um, You know, I think for a lot of years, it was super easy for me just to be behind the scenes person um, and not really feel like I needed to take credit for, you know, any of the successes of our various businesses. But, you know, that's kind of changing for me, especially as our company grows and scales and Kelly and I have like massively different roles in what we do. Um, We were talking about this a little bit earlier, but I 100% suffer from imposter syndrome. I have my entire life. And so just personally, that's something I'm really just I'm working on that. I am trying to be okay with saying like, dude, I'm a badass in business and I can own that. And I see all these male entrepreneurs, many of whom have way less uh, successful businesses and have done way less in business, have zero problem tooting their own horn and saying how awesome they are and how they're changing the world and when they're really not. And, um, you know, so it's, you know, it's just a, for me, it's about, um, just being okay to be like, yeah, I, I have a seat at the ta- the big boy table of entrepreneurs and CEOs and I have a voice here and, and I'm not being an arrogant asshole by saying that. Um, and that's a work in progress. You know, I still don't, it, that's not a comfortable place for me to be. Um, and you know, I actually have to tell one um, in my, just to harken back on my imposter syndrome lifelong problem. Um, I was a, a complex commercial litigator at a big, huge international law firm for seven and a half years before I transitioned into this entrepreneur health and fitness life. And 
I literally used to put on like a full on suit and high heeled shoes and go into court. And I remember being like, can any of these people tell that like, I am a total imposter? Like, and and you know that this is what's going on on the inside for me the whole time. I'm like, I'm wearing this weird outfit, and I'm you know 29 years old, and like everybody must be like that woman is a total imposter. You know, somehow I was able to like move past that and be able to totally function, and you know present an argument to the court and function like a professional in court. But um, but what's crazy is you wouldn't have known. Like I was able to sort of put on this this professional face, and on the inside I'm like, oh my god. Every, nobody knows that like, I totally shouldn't be here, total imposter. Um, and that was when I was like 28, 29, 30 years old, you know, now I'm 47 and still trying to sort of work on that. So I don't know if I'm making waves. I'm trying to make my own waves in my own life um, in that way by just trying to move beyond imposter syndrome and sort of owning it. It's weird because I've been an athlete my whole life and I've never had a problem like owning my athleticism. Um, and I don't know if that's because it's like socially acceptable for women to own their athleticism. No problem mm. like owning that. Um, it has been much more of a challenge for me to like own my entrepreneur chops. I so, love that. I don't want to skip over how you like really just – outlined essentially like you're not trying to make waves far down the line right now right like with you starting at home in your own body with your own life you are creating a ripple effect of how you influence people how those people are influencing other people and how that those decisions down the line are what's making the big wave it always starts with that little ripple and it's so powerful for you to come in and um, selfishly, I, I love this conversation already because like we had mentioned a little bit earlier, like I am building a business and it's scary and it's weird to be the one to own the fact that you're going to be the CEO and you're going to make hard decisions that typically in our society have been made by men. And we joked around like, yes, you're at the big boy table, but we, it's not the big boy table anymore. Like we are now oh. redefining what the table looks like. And so thank you for uh, starting this conversation this way. I love it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, I think it's so important uh, as women that we really connect. And, and I was also slow on the punch with that. I mean, I think part of, you know, being a younger entrepreneur, which is probably the phase you are in, is that you just are in a head down phase, like just work, 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 say yes to everything, work all the time. Like you don't have time to sort of step back and evaluate and think, okay, you know, what connections do I need to make? Who do, who do I need to bounce ideas off of? You know, and, and I think it's also very easy to fall into this trap of thinking, oh my God, this is insane and I'm the only one. And, you know, I actually sort of had that realization um, two or three years ago where I saw, again, like if I could contrast my role with Kelly's role, you know, he, what, the way he defines himself is he's a coach. Like of all things, you know, he makes content and does all this stuff, but like what he, the way he really sees himself is as a coach. And he was always, because we, were, we owned a CrossFit gym and we we're in this health and fitness space, he was always surrounded by tons of coaches who are his peers and people with whom he could bounce ideas off of. But for many years on the business side of things, I was like kind of by myself and didn't really have a ton of people to really connect and talk to. Um, so in the gym world, I definitely made a conscious effort, um, you know, after owning a gym for like seven years to actually really, you know, 
connect with Jason and the TJ's people and other, other local Bay Area gym owners to just sort of have people to bounce ideas off of. And then more recently, just in, on a bigger scale, I've been really working on connecting with other women entrepreneurs um, because I think there really are unique challenges to being a, a woman leader of an organization. Um, and again, I bet 90% of us suffer from imposter syndrome. So we're always battling against that problem. Anyway, so I don't even, I, you asked me a question. I'm not even sure I answered it. One of the things that I'm noticing, because I think it comes up so, so much when we're in business, at least I'll speak from my own experience. I felt like I had to lean so far into my masculine to sit at that table, to earn my spot at that table. And it wasn't until I started bringing other female entrepreneurs into my life that I was like, oh shit, like female energy is actually the answer to this problem that we can't figure out. Or having the courage to even like raise your hand in that meeting and be like, hey guys, everything you're talking about, I hear it, I see it, and here's how it lands with the female audience. Um, I think that that has been a huge, huge revelation in the way that I interact with people at our company, people in my personal life and everything else. How have you found that leading a business as a woman, how has that interacted with your company, with your staff and anything in between? Well, I think you're exactly right. And I'll, again, I have to go back to my legal background, a really interesting phenomenon. And I started... Um, working as a lawyer like in the early 2000s. But it was very interesting. A lot of young women lawyers, including me, had this experience where we thought we'd get to the law firm and our mentors would be these older women lawyer partners. Um, but it turned out in many cases that we sort of clashed with them because they were really like first generation female partners who, I mean, like talk about having to like elbow their way up and they really did have to operate in like a very serious masculine way in order to be able to make the kind of gains they made. Um, you know, in fact, I think that's, I mean, not to digress on politics, won't go there, but like that's a big reason why a lot of people don't find Hillary Clinton to be likable. You know, she had to put up this crazy defensive wall at the time that she came of age as a woman to be able to function as highly as she did um, in our society. And so, um, so anyway, I, I digress on that, but it was interesting because I came and actually found that all the mentors that I, um, I took on as a young lawyer were actually male partners because I just, my generation sort of clashed with that, um, the, the older generation of women who really did like unequivocally, like the only way they could be as successful as they were, were sort of to like become like male women. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but there was just, I mean, what I would also say is we still have a lot of work to do. I don't know if you guys all just saw last week, the Washington Post article about who speaks up in meetings, but the Washington Post just published this long article with a lot of data showing that even still today, you know, men are overtaking meetings and women are not getting enough of a voice in meetings. Um, and, and often don't speak up because again, there's still this perception that, if you do speak up as a woman or interject that you're being too aggressive and then that is somehow a negative quality. Um, so, so I think it's changing, but I also think we still have a lot of work to do. Um, one thing that I will say that's nice about being the CEO of a company is that 
I, there's no, like I have to, I lead the meetings. I manage the people. I have to do the talking. Um, I often do most of the talking because I'm the one that's leading the vision and the strategy. Um, so I do think uh, a lot of that depends on like where women are in the hierarchy, right? So like one of the big things we have to do is we have to get more women into leadership positions because I, I, I don't know, I have no data to support this, but my strong feeling is if there is, if the person at the tippy top of the triangle in any meeting is a woman, the, the meeting dynamic is going to be quite different and that the women in the room are probably also going to have uh, much more confidence in speaking their minds and sharing their opinions. Uh, again, I don't know, there's no scientist science to that, but, but in my own company, I feel like that's true. I have a lot of women who work for me I hope at least, and, and I see that none of them fear speaking up um, and sharing their their minds, whatever that may be. Uh, but I, I think, you know, there's still work to do though. You know, we, we aren't there, like we're not there yet. I could not resonate more with your story. Um, I graduated undergrad and was hell-bent on law school. And one of my favorite professors <laughs> was like, Lindsay, I don't think you're going to like it. And I was like, what do you mean? I just spent my entire undergrad getting my pre-law degree all this time. And he was like, okay, homegirl, take a year, go get <laughs> real life experience. And if you still want to do that, law school is still there. Go work in a firm, see if you like it. And within a week, I was like, wow, I hate this. And one of the main reasons <laughs> being, I, there was this, have you guys ever seen The Devil Wears Prada? Oh yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> the female partner at that firm was Miranda Priestley. Like <laughs> he would look me up head to toe as soon as I walked in the office and like critique my outfit. It was just like, I was ready to get so much knowledge and like guidance and someone to bounce ideas off of. I was like, yes, there's this like badass woman in power. But I was like, wait, like, I don't want to like drink scotch and smoke cigars. And that was exactly what you were saying, how far into her masculine she had to lean to get to where she was. So as much as I honored her journey and her position, I was like, wow, I don't want to be that. Yeah, you're like, um, not for me. <laughs> not for me, thank you. Um, but I'm curious, now being that leader of your own and having women in your meetings, are there any practices or anything you do to help kind of even the playing field and allow a container that like women feel comfortable stepping up in these meetings? Well, I think one of the biggest things is over half my staff is women. So it's just like, you know, part of it's just an, a pure numbers game, right? There's a lot of women in my meetings. Um, and then I think the other thing that we do, and I one of, this is one of the conscious reasons I did this, is we have, for example, a weekly staff meeting. And it's not just a talk whenever you want scenario. We actually go person by person and give everyone a chance to give their own updates about what they're working on and what their challenges are and what they might need help with. And, and so, you know, that, that often opens up a group-wide discussion. But um, it is... If you show up in my meeting, you are going to be talking, um, and it, it, and everybody pretty much gets equal time to sort of go through their, you know, what their week is, what they need help with, challenges, what they're working on, what they're looking forward to, whatever. Um, but I mean, I think just strategically that's important because everybody has a voice in that meeting, regardless of their gender, 
And, uh, and then there's also a lot of women too. So, I mean, that helps. That's just a side help. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I am conscious of that. I'm conscious of creating ways for that to happen. And I will also say personally, I have given up caring if I interrupt. I mean, that's one thing that is, you know, I said, you know, like I said earlier, I am a work in progress, still totally suffer from imposter syndrome, um, definitely suffer from self-doubt sometimes. But one of the things I have gotten over is having zero problem interrupting, especially now that we're on Zoom. Just, you know, at some point you're just like, someone is just going on and on and on and on and and we're stuck in Zoom. And at some point, you just have to interrupt and be like, actually, we're going to talk about, like, we need to move the conversation here. We're going to move here. Okay, like, um, and, and that, that has to be done sometimes. And, and I mean, that's not just men who are, you know, waxing poetic for way too long on Zoom. That's everybody. But I, I have sort of given up. Like, sorry, sometimes you just need to interrupt. And I, I love that. I think that's, like, such a powerful realization to have I feel like especially because we're so used to this idea that we have to be quiet we have to be presentable at all times and we have to be liked all the time especially as women in business we're not going we're already kind of set up for failure in that regard right like now if we do interject if we are heard we're being too aggressive have you found like any ways that help you kind of cope with this discomfort of speaking up even if it is like not necessarily going to be um, always so well received I mean I will say being again I this is sort of a repeat of what I said earlier but earlier but I do think being in a powerful position makes it a lot easier for me right like usually if I'm in a meeting with all men I am their boss and so (laughs) So that helps, right? Like I, I hate, you know, like pa- power matters, right? Like everybody's trying to get it and everybody wants it. Even if you aren't conscious of thinking you want it, you do. And, you know, so that I think just as a sort of a baseline, that does help me um, because, you know, ultimately everybody on most of the calls I'm on are reporting to me on some level, or at least they're reporting to someone who's reporting to me. So, so I, I think just that dynamic alone makes it a lot easier for me. I will also say that again, to the extent that I'm an evolving person, um, you know, part of it is just, I'm growing up and, and I'm, I'm sort of like starting to reach the point because I, I, you know, I am, I want people to like me. Like I, I don't want to pretend like I'm not that kind of person. Like I want people to like me. Um, but I will say that as I get older, that drive I can tell is muted a little bit. So I still want people to like me, but not as much. And I'm not willing to give up as much as myself now that I'm 47 as I maybe was when I was 35 in order to get people to like me. And, um, and so that to me is just an evolution and a growing up and a process. And I hope, you know, you guys are all younger than me and I hope maybe partly because our society is changing, like maybe you can have a muted, that, that muted sense when you're like 30, 37 or 42 or something like hopefully earlier than me. (laughs) I love that. I feel like that's also such an important thing, you know, to, to sit with for a second is this idea that like, I'm not willing to give up more of myself just to fit in. And that can be really challenging, especially as you are growing a business, you know, like you want to fit in because it, it's almost advantageous in some ways to fit in with other business owners, to fit in, in a, some sort of community that's going to help you grow. 
And it can be really tough and really isolating, um, especially now, if you can't fit in necessarily, you know, because now we're like so far removed from people because it's really just these Zoom conversations. We're not getting in rooms as much or as often with um, other business owners. And um, I don't want to I don't want to gloss over that because I do think that it's a huge, huge thing for you to just um, acknowledge. So thank you for that. Um, and I recognize now, like where you are now, you're in this powerful position. So it's a lot easier for you to get that respect and like create the culture you want. But what about when you were like coming up in law school and how you got to this point? There's something in there um, I would venture to guess that is kind of like a, um, a turning point for you maybe in how you decided to show up in this way. And I would love to know if there is, or if, um, you've always been this badass. Um, no, it is a, no, uh, to answer the very last question. No. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, there were, I obviously was not destined to be an attorney for my entire life. And there were early signs, uh, even in my law practice that that was not the case. And, you know, law firms really do suffer from a a problem in that, you know, even though, you know, something like 60% of women uh, graduate from law school and still today, only 15% of women in law firms are partners. So there, there's still like a, a real problem in law firms of getting people to move up through the ranks. Um, but interestingly, the whole legal system is actually very set up well to be equitable. Um, you know, if you go into court, it doesn't matter who is, you know, whether it's a man or a woman and you see, you actually start to see lots of female judges. And so, you know, in some ways, parts of the legal practice are like almost like the military, like very, uh, you know, they, they've actually done a really good job of, you know, looping everybody in. Now, women haven't, the, the problem is women haven't gotten into like positions of power in law firms, but in terms of like who appears in court and who, who are judges and who can speak up and use their voices in court, like there's a lot of women doing that. So I think seeing that as a young person and, and seeing that, you know, I could use my voice in a professional, intellectual, creative way in public and otherwise was really helpful um, just to sort of get the ball rolling. Um, And and I do think part of it is, you know, is just trying to strike that balance because I do think that at the root of a lot of this is being okay with letting go a little bit of people liking you and thinking, okay, well, if I speak my mind in a meeting and a couple people think I'm aggressive, like whatever. Um, you know, I think part of it is just sort of, you know, repelling that, those fears, like, okay, great. Like if, if you're so unevolved as a man that you think that my speaking my mind in a meeting is somehow, uh, you know, dangerous for you or makes you dislike me, like, great. Like that's your problem, not my problem. Um, so I think a lot of it is just actually honestly learning how to repel some of that stuff and not let it stop you. And, um, and I do think there are starting to be so many more women who are, um, you know, moving up and starting companies and, you know, being in leadership positions that it is making it easier, you know, for, for people who aren't, you know, because right, it's easy for me to say, well, I'm leading all the meetings. So easy for me to talk. Right. But what if you're someone listening to this, who's like, I'm at an entry level position, um, 
And I also just think, you know, if you're working at a company where your voice isn't respected, then it, that, that might be, you know, something to look at and, and really think, okay, am I in the right spot? And, you know, there, I know there's a lot of fear and people are maybe a little scared about their jobs right now, given everything going on in this country. But, you know, to the extent that, you know, you can take a moment to think, am I in the right, am I with the right people? Am I doing the right things? Am I, because there is a place for everybody, all women to find employment, whether for themselves or for someone else where their voice will be respected and heard. And if it's not, it's like, get out when you can. Going back to your life experiences and thinking about maybe that girl who's listening in at an entry-level position or just starting her career, I mean, confidence doesn't grow overnight and confidence isn't going to be handed to you anywhere from this world. So is there any advice or any actionable habits or tips you can give readers that's like maybe outside of the business sphere, this is how I gain confidence, this is how where I felt powerful, here are some things you can do. Curious to see um, what you have to say on that. Yeah. I mean, one of the, again, the, uh, I keep going back to my law background. One of the things that has been nice about being a lawyer, and this is by the way, lame that this is perceived in our society, but I have noticed it's been slightly easier for me to be taken seriously as an entrepreneur because I'm a lawyer. I find that annoying by the way. I, I'm not saying that that's right, but I will say that my educational background gives me some kind of cred that I don't think really matters that much, but it does. Uh, so I've been able to kind of lean on that a little bit, right? Like, oh, people are like, oh, okay, well, she's a woman, but at least she's a lawyer, so she can be in this meeting talking or whatever, which is is uh, whatever. I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't, I, I can't emphasize much how annoying I find that is, but it has been a reality in my life. Um, you know, I, okay, so I want to start by saying that, like, I'm a Generation Xer who, you know, all we did is, like, work hard and put our heads down. Um, but I will say that being responsive being articulate and working hard and maybe harder than other people around you. Like that's the way to get like noticed by the people above you to get promoted in your job and to like build your own confidence. Um, leaving the office at four to go to yoga is not going to be the way to do that. Right. So I think people need to reach this inflection point in their lives of like, what kind of life do I want? And if the life you want is to leave the office at four and go to yoga, that's totally cool. But then the trade-off for that is like, you're not going to go up the ranks and you're not going to become CEO or VP or whatever you want to be. And that's totally okay. There's literally nothing wrong with that. Like, that's okay. But like, you can't both think I'm going to leave the office at four to go to yoga and then be mad that you're not getting promoted to be VP, right? Like those things are a connection, right? Like the people being promoted to VP are like determined to, okay, everyone, like my boss is here at the office till 5.30, I'm staying till six. I mean, those kinds of things, like they matter, right? People notice. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, there's just something to say for like busting your ass at some point in your life. And that is also gonna be a confidence builder, right? Because if you really focus on being good at something, whether that's being a lawyer, an investment banker, or an entrepreneur, or a massage therapist, I don't care what it is, if you actually really focus your attention on doing, being good at something, that alone is a confidence builder. Like one of the things that really bugs me is everyone, like I hate the word passion. I'm like, go be what you're, like that's Oprah level shit. I hate that. Like don't go do what you're passionate about. I really reject that. The 
and, and in fact, science rejects that. Like people who are happy actually are doing something they are good at. That is a super important distinction. Doing something you're passionate about is like unattainable for 99.5% of people. Like 99% of people don't wake up every morning and they're like, hell yes, I'm about to go get on seven Zooms in a row. This is amazing. It's filling my soul in every possible way. Like I just, I don't know. I don't, I really reject the whole passion thing. I think people will be ultimately happier and have more confidence and actually move up the ranks into leadership positions as women if they do shit they're good at and focus on doing stuff you're good at and like forget that passion thing because that what does that even mean I actually heard um so funny that you say that um I have a business coach and she always says like don't go after your passions because your passions are fleeting and they're going to change throughout your life there's like consistent themes in them and that's not what you build a business around right like you build a business around the things that are purposeful for you and like the things you're good at are the things that give you purpose right and I think that's so true and so often overlooked especially being in a space where you own a business it's not going to be things all of the time that really light you up like it's important I think to note you know like there are going to be times if you really want to like be a business owner and you want to be able to go like take a yoga class at 4 p.m there's going to be times where you can do that. And then there's also going to be times where you're working 12 hours a day. And right. if it's something that you really, um, it's something that you enjoy because you're good at it and it, it lights you up. That's so different than it being your passion because passion projects aren't always going to be the things that make you money and make you joyful at the same time. Sometimes you really can't even, you can't, follow a passion and have it still be a passion and still make you money. Right. Like look at CrossFit gyms, for example, since this is how we all met originally is CrossFit gyms. Look at CrossFit gyms. Like I can't tell you over the years of owning CrossFit gym, how many CrossFit gyms, like this is actually, this actually became a joke between all of us gym owners was like, people love, they fall in love with CrossFit and they're like, I love CrossFit. I'm going to open a gym. And literally then we would be like, okay, so just FYI, like the last time you're going to work out on your own is going to be the first day you open the doors of your gym. So like, just FYI, like, like make sure that what you want to do is actually run a business because who cares if you're into CrossFit? Like it literally running a CrossFit is no different from running a restaurant, from running a hair salon, from running anything. Like it is at its core, just a business where you serve customers. Like literally that's what a CrossFit gym is. And so if you don't like to own a business and do all the bullshit shit and deal with customer service and you know, like whatever, if that, if that's actually not what you like, if your passion is CrossFit, like you're not going to like that job <laughs> and you might not even be good at it right? And so then you're really not going to like it because you're not going to be good at it, you know? Um, so I've seen that a lot. And, and you know, I, I know I'm like the, the like passion killer and mean, mean old lady, but, um, but I just, man, it's so many people are going to get so much more life satisfaction if they just focus on doing something they're good at because there's so much joy that comes from just being competent at something. Like I actually really feel like I have didn't start off, but I feel very competent at running a business and that makes me feel good. And that is a confidence booster for me and makes me feel happy and like fills me up as a human. Like that's great. And like, am I always like passionate about sweeping up chalk or whatever, all of the myriad of things you do as a business owner that are large and small? 
um, making from making copies to like having high level strategic meetings, like some of that stuff really pumps me up. But what pumps me up is like feeling like, wow, I'm like really learning a lot and I'm competent at this. And that's awesome. I read this really interesting study uh, that came out of Stanford and it was talking about what's our like optimal states of consciousness or where do we perform the best? What do on an innate human level, like what, I guess, kind of level of awareness do we thrive the most at? And I was ready for it to be like in community, like in love and ecstasy, right? And all these different things. And what the study found was that we subconsciously thrive in areas that we have a subtle amount of frustration, that we're, we're good at what we're doing, but there's something that is keeping us striving to be better. Um, that I found so interesting. And it was like, well, obviously that makes sense, right? Like we've been finding efficiencies for all of time. We're not trying to recreate the wheel. We try to make the wheel better, you know, any of these things. But it was so cool now to have that reframe when I come up against something that is frustrating. I'm like, oh, I am in my optimal state of being right now. <laughs> Let's go. Right, right, right. You're just like struggling to do some maybe inane work thing, but truly you're in your optimal state of being. You know, what that made me think of too is I've seen this kind of presentation come up a few times over the years where it's like, you know, this sort of question of like, like what are the factors that make people the most healthy, right? And so everybody would immediately go to like sleep, diet, nutrition, whatever. And it's like the number one thing is like being in a loving relationship. Like, Forget all that other stuff. You could literally just eat Doritos all day long and chances are versus the person who eats a paleo diet and has no love in their life, right? Like, it's just interesting, right? The perceptions we have where we're like, well, you can't be healthy if you're not eating well and sleeping and exercising. And it's like, well, I mean, at what level, what does health mean? And, you know, if you're in a loving relationship or relationships, whatever that means, whether it's friends, family, whatever, like that really is what is, is gonna like really fill you up as a human being. I don't know why that Stanford thing made me think of that, but just sort of this change perception. It's huge. What and we I, think. Yeah. And piggybacking off of that, like when we're in community, when we're in love, when we have a place that we feel that we can be our most authentic self, that carries over to everything else we were talking about. Like you're more confident to interrupt. You feel seen, you feel heard, you feel held, all of these innate human desires. And so when we have that in our lives it makes so much sense it's like intoxicating i know when i'm around someone in a meeting like maybe it's because i aspire to be that way but it's like i'm not annoyed by that interruption like that was badass and that person is like fully in their power and believe in everything they're saying and have this authenticity behind it yeah you know this uh uh, one of the things I, you know, because I've done a lot of like hiring over the years and I don't know why this made me think of this, but I've done obviously a lot of hiring building teams over the years. And I, I went to this mastermind a couple of years ago and it was actually this male entrepreneur giving this presentation, but he said, look, here's how I approach interviews. He's like, if I'm interviewing a man, I literally go into the interview with the mind frame that this guy's a full of shit. And how's he going to convince me that he's not? Um, and he's like, if I'm interviewing a woman, I go into the meeting assuming she's underselling herself. And what can I do to bring, create a space for her to say how awesome she is? 
Um, I don't know why that has just stuck with me ever since, but I've tried to tell as many people that as possible because I think it's so important, right? Like men are always going to apply for jobs they have no qualifications for, whereas women are going to be totally overqualified. And um, so I always just like to try to get that out in the world because I think the more people who like approach things like interviews with that frame of mind, like just sort of assume most of the guys are just bullshitting about their experience and how awesome they are. And the women are underselling themselves. And like somehow in that, you know, you're going to be able to like find the right people. Um, but you know, there's so much to unpack with all these dynamics and businesses. It's so true. And it's so true that we really do undersell ourselves quite often. And it's also, it's one of those things that really makes me think, you know, like what if we didn't, what if we stopped underselling and undervaluing ourselves and really stopped to take a second and reflect on all of the badass shit that we've done over the course of our lives. And that's something I think we can't pass up, you know, is this idea of celebrating other people that are speaking up in meetings that are being, um, maybe a little bit abrasive on some topics that, no one else is really questioning or um, going against and celebrating ourselves for the fact that we are also maybe rewriting a narrative that's been so ingrained in us for so long. Um, Do you have any other advice for young business owners, anyone who is um, maybe like starting to build their own teams? Like how do you create the culture of maybe not even just like having more femininity, but having more openness and more um, support for people to speak up? I think a a couple of things. I mean, I've been really deliberate about how and who I hire. And, um, and when it comes to diversity in particular, I have been conscious of this like since 2006 um, not just in the wake of George Floyd, for example, which is like kind of a thing that bugs me where everyone's like, I found it. I, I'm on it. Yeah, it's okay. I'm like, well, it's a little late. Like if you looked at, you know, San Francisco CrossFit's obviously closed now, but like I would wager that San Francisco CrossFit was the most diverse staff of any CrossFit gym in America. Like I would just wager that. Like we had multiple gay people and definitely tons of people of color and lots of women. And we had some people who were like, overweight. And then we had some people who looked like Jason Kalipa. And we had like, like, I mean, I'm telling you, we had the gamut of like humans and we tried to create a space for people to be themselves as coaches, right? Like I think my, one of the things I do as a manager is I don't have like a a way that I manage people. Um, and I don't have a way that I, I want people to like bring in their own voice. Right. So, so, you know, Kelly has a way that he coaches, but we really try to create a space and say, look, if you're an introvert and you're quieter and you want to coach people in a certain way, that's your style. Like we have a space for you. That's okay. There's more than one way to do it. Um, you know, if, if you aren't going to do 75 bar muscle ups in, without your shirt on, um, to, cause that's not your jam, you know, and, and maybe you have, 30 pounds to lose, but you're a fucking kick-ass coach. Like that's okay. You know, we don't, we're not looking for this perfect person. Like we, we really, and and I would say I really super early on focused on like, I want to create a space both in both my companies where people who have really different skill sets are very diverse can come to the table because I really am and have for a long time been a true believer that like 
unless you have all these diverse voices at the table, like you're not going to get to the right answers, right? If you just have everyone who looks like you at the table, like the answers, you're, you're not, you're going to be like seeing, you know, cause we can only see what we can see in our own little verticals in life. And we have to get these other perspectives, whether it's more women or more people of color or, you know, more LGBTQ people, whatever you, whatever it is, it's like, I really believe that like the most diverse table is going to be the table that like sees the most and actually is, is going to help grow businesses better and create a better experience for customers and you name it. So like, I've really been a true believer in that for a long time. Um, I also don't have a single management style. I have, um, tried to manage, I've tried to learn who my people are and what works for them and then manage them that way, as opposed to my deciding like, I manage people like this. You know, I have this management style and this is what I do with everybody and this is how I give everybody feedback. Like, I don't give everybody feedback the same way. Like, I have certain people who I can be extremely straight with and be like, hey, you did this, wasn't a super fan of it, please don't do that again next time. And they'll be like, got it. Aye, aye, captain, no problem. Their feelings aren't hurt. They got it. Like they have no issue there. And then I have other people where if I was that straightforward with them and giving them feedback, like they would be wounded for three months and then probably quit. Right. So, so I try to be really conscious that like, I've got a lot of different people and personalities who are coming from different places, who have different backgrounds, who've had different support levels in their life. And like I, for me, one management style is never going to work. Um, I also don't have a punitive management style. I mean, if, if I suck at anything, it's I horrible, I'm horrible at firing people, like horrible at that. Um, but I also expect everyone to work for me to make tons of mistakes. So I just created an environment where I'm like, Hey, I make tons of mistakes all the time. And I, in this entrepreneur world, like I am constantly learning and trying to improve my game. And I am no, I am nowhere near an expert at all. I still just feel like I'm like at 10% right now. Like I've got 90% to go. So if, if that's where I'm at, I need to have that same expectation of the people who work for me. Um, the other thing I've really tried to do, um, is I've tried to hire moms a lot. Um, and I love, I love hiring a mom. Um, because, you know, I've actually seen, you know, some women I know who have dropped out of the workforce for a little while to have kids. And it is a serious challenge to come back into the workforce. And one of the biggest challenges they face is actually not external, it's internal. They've lost their confidence, right? Because technology changes so quickly, right? So it's like, if you dropped out of the workforce eight years ago, yeah, there was Gmail and there was Facebook and Instagram, but like Slack didn't exist. What's Slack? Right. And so like, if you've been out of the workforce for even just short periods of time, given the rate of technology, like, like I've seen, um, a lot of women be like, well, I've been out of the workforce for eight years, like being a stay at home mom to help raise my kids. And now I want to get back in the workforce and I'm an ambitious person and I'm ready. And I still have 50 more years of my life to work. Um, but so I've tried to give a chance to people just being like, well, it might, I, I might hire you and, it might take you six weeks to learn some of the stuff that might've taken some younger person four weeks to learn, but like worth it because I'm going to get this person who ultimately has life experience and, and, and employment experience that may be a little while ago. Um, but, but you know, it's like that, that classic thing, if you want, it, it's, you know, just a trope at this point, but it's like, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Well, like a working mom is the busiest person and they're going to figure it out and get it done. And whether they get it done at 8.30 at night after their kids have gone to bed or at 5.30 in the morning, like who cares? Uh, you know, they, they, uh, 
you know, they're, they're awesome. But I've been also conscious of that, right? Like I've worked continuously. I took a little time off to have my kids, but I see that unless there's more people like me who are willing to say, okay, well, who cares that you haven't been working for the last eight years? Um, you can learn and it might take us a slight bit more training, but like we have to have more companies who are willing to do that too, because, you know, raising children is also really important in our society. Like it's important that people have them and raise them. And that may mean that some women need to take time out of working for a little while in order to make that happen or men or men, but I'm not sure we're quite there yet really in any like meaningful way or men, but, um, but there has to be this system by which, you know, people can, women in particular can come back into the workforce and sort of be, be invited in despite maybe what is inside of them um, as a sort of real loss of confidence. I think that that is something that is so, so overlooked by the masses in business. So I really appreciate you bringing awareness to it. I'm not a mom. I'm actually nowhere near a mom, but it is one of my <laughs> biggest fears in ever becoming one because I want to raise badass little children. And if I'm working at the capacity at which I work every week, someone else would be raising my children. So I know that that's a huge barrier of entry of me even wanting to have kids right now. So I love that you brought attention to that. And I think another perfect segue, something we were talking about before the show was, I wasn't aware of it, but you brought up the law that was passed that now boards of companies have to have a woman on the board that have been traditionally male dominated for all of time. So can you kind of talk about your conquest to bust into those doors and sit at those tables? Yeah, I, uh, I actually went, I, I became aware of the, I really didn't know anything about company boards like as soon as two years ago. I mean, I have actually served on multiple nonprofit boards, but you know, company like private or public company boards was not in my site at all. I was like, I don't even know who does that. don't know anything about that. Um, and I actually went to this meeting where I learned about this law that was passed and I don't know what it's called, but in California it was passed two years ago and it said by 2020, their uh, public company boards had to have at least one woman on their board. And sorry, I think I'm having a notification problem, which I'm now changing. Um, by 2020, women, they, companies need to have at least one woman on their board. And then by 2023, they had to have at least two women. Well, this sent companies scrambling. And, and I found it so shocking. I was like, wait a second, we're in 2020 and nobody has any women on their boards. Like what in the hell? Like this was just kind of this light bulb moment for me because it's not a world I was in, but I was like, what are we talking about? And then I started reading and learning a little more about how, you know, and I don't know if you guys know this, but you know, on public company boards, you make a shit ton of money. You know, a lot of like, let me just give an example. Like if you're on a big public company board, you make 150,000 a year and you attend four weekend meetings a year. So it's, eight days of work and you make 150, right? Well, no wonder all these dudes are like passing it down to their sons or their bros or their frat guy, frat brothers or the kids they went to college with, right? So it's been this system where it's like everybody's just passing it along and it's really like a coveted thing because A, you have a lot of power and B, it's like, you know, you, you have a lot of power, you have a lot of credibility, it's a way to make a lot of other connections. So, so in business, it's like if you're on a board, you're meeting this person and that person, it makes it easier to raise money. And on top of that, you're actually making money while you're doing it, like a lot of money potentially. Um, not so much in private company boards. Uh, you know, usually you're getting paid in like stock or equity or something in a private company board, but nevertheless, like money is on the line. And I did not know that. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I didn't know. 
And, um, I'm like, and then I said, beef up my resume right now. I'm like, I yeah, have so, four weekends of my life away. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I was like, I literally was like, this is my retirement plan. Like I am so, so, um, and then I also, so I was at this meeting and I think I was like 45 at the point at the time I went to this meeting. So it was like two years ago and it's this big conference room. I raised my hand and I'm like, hello, uh, I'm wondering like, how old do you have to be to be on these boards, right? Because I, again, speaking of imposter syndrome, I also still always feel like I'm like a 22-year-old person. I'm like stuck there in my mind. So I raised my hand in like a group of 500 women to actually ask like how old you need to be on a company board. And, um, you know, basically the woman said that like, I was not foreclosed at all by my age, um, that there are plenty of women in their 30s on boards. It tends to be more women in their like 50s, 60s, but like there's also starting, especially now that companies need women on their boards, there's starting to be a lot of younger women on boards. So, so basically what she told me and confirmed was like, not, not, I'm not foreclosed from being on a board. Um, and, and that, that, they, that people who are on boards have this wide ranging experience like you think you need to have this insane resume to be on a board and you start to actually do like dig under the curtain you know dig under the whatever it's called for a little while and you see that again most of the people probably aren't more badass than you guys but they have connections that you don't have um and that's really the only difference so um so one of the things I would say generally to like any woman who's like on the younger sort of burgeoning end of their career, like just getting going is like do a way better job than I did of getting support, get support, get support, get people around you, like find mentors, reach out, join masterminds, join groups. Like I waited way too long to do that. I just literally was like head down computering for like seven years before I was like, what am I doing? I can't do this by myself. Um, so I just like do that earlier, but you know, speaking of like beefing up your resume, the other thing that you can do is get support with that. There's actually, I'm actually have just joined this San Francisco based organization called Athena Alliance, which is specifically dedicated to help women, uh, get, you know, VPC level positions and also get onto boards. And one of the things they do, in fact, the part of the main reason, uh, the, the CEO is this awesome woman in Coco Brown. She started the company for the specific reason that women suck at making a board bio and, and having an elevator pitch and like a, an awesome resume, resume and an awesome LinkedIn profile. So like if you join their organization, the first thing they do is put, set you up with like professional copywriters and brand people and they like help you create this whole thing about yourself that includes a CV and a really rad, super awesome LinkedIn profile. And they train you how to give an elevator pitch, like in three sentences, how can you tell anyone in an elevator why you should be on their board? And they prepare you for these interviews, right? And so, so I just think that's such a, and that organization is not alone. I mean, Athena Alliance is one of them, but there's many. And I just cannot emphasize enough how worth it is to connect with those kinds of organizations that are specifically supporting women who are trying to advance in, in business and try to move up and take on leadership roles. Because, you know, I think there's really a need for it. And I think, you know, again, I don't want to make like comparisons, but like generally speaking, at least as of yet, like we kind of all generally suck at that. Like I am, like I have a bio on my LinkedIn profile that my mom wrote because I was like, I can't write my own bio. Like, what would I say? I don't know what to say about myself. That feels weird. Uh, imposter, right? Um, I know I'm not alone and I know I'm not because literally a bunch of these organizations were founded to solve this problem for women who, who suffer from that same problem I do. So um, there are so many ways that, uh, 
you know, I, I think one of the greatest developments in the last like 20 years is that women are really realizing like we have to support women. Um, we're going to formalize it by actually creating organizations so that anybody can join. You know, it's not about supporting some woman that you know and connections. Like you can just go on to multiple websites of these like, you know, women entrepreneur groups, things like the Alina, Athena Alliance who are going to like sort of specifically connect and prepare you to be on boards. I mean, you name it, these organizations are out there and like as a young and even if you're not trying to be an entrepreneur, even if you're just trying to be a badass at whatever it is you want to be a badass at in your job and you want to grow in an organization, like reach out for support because there are now lots of people who've done it before you and chances are they've had the same struggles. And, you know, it's, it's like, I just wish I had done it sooner. Like I'm now, you know, I really didn't start reaching out for this kind of support until like my early forties. And I'm like, God, why don't I, what was I doing by myself all those years? So uh, there's so much out there and, you know, there are going to only be more and more requests and needs for women to serve on boards. And that I think, you know, when we get a critical mass of women on boards, uh, then stuff's really going to start to change, right? Because if we have, you know, that's the tippy top table, right? Like, like there's lots of tables we're sitting at at some level, but when we're all at that tippy top table that's making the big decisions that are affecting our businesses and our economy as a country and our politics, I mean, the, the impact that those boards have across our society is large. And so it's going to be really, Really interesting to see what happens in 10 years when there's lots of women at the table at, in these conversations. And also, I think it's also going to trickle down to basic things like women feeling okay to speak up in meetings. Like if you, if you're at a big, huge private company where there's five women on the board, that just in and of itself sends a message to all the women who are working below those people that like, a, I can get there, and B, my voice matters because this company has specifically said by way of appointing women to their board that women's voices matter. So I, I think it's a huge thing. Julia, well, I, I appreciate that so much. Laura, I think you were about to say something. Then go ahead. I would just love to put you on the spot here really quickly and get your three-sentence elevator pitch that is going to land you on the board. <laughs> well, I'm still working on it, um, but but I would start by saying I am a seasoned entrepreneur um, with a strong legal background that is adept at building teams, growing brick and mortar, and digital businesses. Um, I am a total boss of an operator, and see, I, that's where I kind of end. I kind of end right there. So I have work to do. I'm working on it. We are I'm actually here for that. We are here for it. Um, that was yeah. Badass. So, but you know, I, I think like everybody should start thinking about it. like you guys should start thinking about like what is your elevator pitch? Like if you wanted to get a job, if you wanted to like meet someone in an elevator and have them hire you in three sentences, if you wanted to get on a board seat, like, I mean, I am horrible at it. I just, and so I'm trying to work on it. Like I sometimes I, you know, I use my little notes app on my computer all the time and I can't tell you how many, like 50 different little versions because I'll have a little thought in my mind. Like, Oh Yeah. As I'm working on something, I'm like, oh yeah, I can do that too. Oh yeah, I have that skill. I can do that. Oh, that would be helpful for a board. Um, but I just, I think, you know, make sure you get out of the mindset that you have to have some very traditional background. I mean, it's kind of a bonus that I'm a lawyer, um, but it, the, the people who are sitting on boards like are all over the map in terms of business experience or work experience. And so, you know, 
don't rule yourself out if it's something you want to do. Like it's, it's more about, honestly, it's more about marketing yourself than it is about skills. Like so many things. I'm getting this flash of, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a huge Marvel comic fan. Love them. Yep. Arielle's laughing, but she knows that that was my quarantine uh, thing. I watched every Marvel movie in chronological order. So (laughs) what is flashing into my mind is like the confidence that Robert Downey Jr. has when he like has this whole speech of how he's going to cover up who Iron Man is. And he like walks in one line. It's just like, I am the Iron Man. Like that (laughs) is the kind of confidence I'm trying to walk into with this elevator pitch. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, you can't start thinking in those terms, you know, because you, you guys all have skills that you aren't even aware of and things that you have to contribute to large and small organizations. And, you know, if the board thing's interesting to everyone, like go get on a nonprofit board or two, like start there, right? Because you can really start to learn about like board governance and what it means to run an organization, but from a nonprofit, you know, but I mean, just see, because, you know, I think it's, I think it's going to be a big thing. And I think again, like we all need to be constantly thinking about and doing a better job of marketing ourselves. I mean, I think that's, and and if, if you are like me and really suck at that, um, get help. There's people who can help you. I need help. I appreciate so much your transparency through all of this. I think there's this preconceived notion that so many of us have that if I give away any of my secrets, there's no more room at the top for me or someone's going to come take it from me. And so this state of abundance that you're coming from is so overwhelmingly refreshing um, and something that I think women especially need to hear more of and participate in more. And if people want to get a hold of you, participate with you, see what's going on at the ready state, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Well, this is going to be really sad because everyone else who's cool is going to be like, find me on Instagram and here. And I am on Instagram at Juliet Star app, but I mostly just post pictures of my kids and mountain biking. So it's not that exciting. Um, but, uh, you can email me, Juliet, at thereadystate.com. I had this interesting experience. Did you guys all watch The Social Dilemma? Yes. Did you watch that movie at all, the, the Netflix thing? Well, it's funny because I've always like sort of had this holier-than-thou thing where I'm like, I barely look at social media. I'm not addicted to social media. And then I learned in watching The Social Dilemma that basically you can be equally as addicted to emailing as you are. Like email is like Gmail is just as bad as Instagram. And like, that's my problem is Gmail. Like I have like this crazy way of organizing my emails and I'm like super responsive and, and like, and I'm like crazy. Like you can email me at any time of the day or night and I'll probably respond pretty quickly. So, um, so that's because I have that you at yeah, strangest time. That's, so, I mean, I'm not proud of that. That's something I'm actually working on. But once I was able to accept that it's an addiction um, through that movie and like I could stop judging everyone who's addicted to Instagram and be like, well, I have my own problem, which is Gmail. But I mean, honestly, that's the best way to reach me. I mean, I'm on Instagram at Juliet Starad and Facebook Juliet Starad and LinkedIn Juliet Starad. I mean, all those places. Um, I'm just not super active. You know, I'm on Clubhouse now, which is like the cool thing. Um, but I really don't get it and haven't figured it out. But you can also find me on Clubhouse if I can ever figure that platform out. We'll have um, to have you on. I know a lot of us are. I know Ariel for sure is. Laura, I think that you're you on there. Board. We are. We are on Clubhouse. Yeah. So we'll have to yeah. have to 
make waves with Juliet Sturette slash teacher how to use Clubhouse uh, get together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, maybe we should all get together and make like a ra rad awesome room for women to talk about rad women stuff. I don't know. Maybe you guys so already have a room this. and you're already doing that. But, um, but you know, that, that's one thing to do. We could do on Clubhouse. We love it. Thank you so much, Julia. I can't wait to do this again. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you.